taking it back from that real kind of hustle, hustle, let's make as much money as we can and like, let's make it so that everyone can eat, not just the top. Hey, streamers and dreamers. My name is Otto Kent and you're listening to The Week by Telecom Electronic Beats. It's Thursday, May 25th, and this is your weekly update on music, culture, and what's next. First off, a bit of good news. Why does that always sound bad? Dance music is booming. The industry now brings in more than 10 billion US dollars in revenue per year. Oh, and if you were wondering, that info comes from Ibiza Music Summit's business report, which was recently published. The report also found that the revenue for the genre increased more than a third in comparison to last year. That is some pretty solid growth. But has that revenue jump been felt by smaller artists and DJs as well? No, you guessed it, quite the opposite. While mega festivals and club nights are back in full swing, only one in five dance music artists is able to make a living off of their work. One in five. That figure is pretty alarming. But what are the reasons and the possible consequences? Let's look under the hood. Sure, the last years haven't exactly been a smooth ride for everyone involved. Even if you're lucky enough to live in a place that isn't directly affected by the war in Ukraine, you felt the economic effects. Whether it's groceries, concert tickets, travel fares, or your monthly utilities bill, the cost of living crisis affects different parts of the population to varying degrees. But creators, artists, and people making vital contributions to music and its subcultures are disproportionately affected. But here's the thing, that wasn't always the case. During the fallout from the 2008 financial crisis, people just kept spending on nightlife. But what's the difference this time, and what can be done to ease the challenges smaller DJs and producers face? To find out, I called up two people. First off, UK-based DJ Mina. She not only works as a DJ, but founded an initiative to tackle the problem. This initiative is called Funding with Mina, and through it, Mina helps fellow artists obtain financial assistance from public institutions. And also on the line with us is San Francisco-based DJ Chrissy. Chrissy not only plays in renowned clubs all over the world and has done so as a lifelong career, but is a serious dance music nerd and author. Hello, Chrissy and Mina. Thanks for joining us via phone today. Hi. Hi. Great to be here. Okay, so where where are you guys at? This is the first time I've done an interview for the show where we've had two people in two different time zones. I'm in um, Oxford, just um, collecting some stuff from my mom's house uh, in the UK. Chrissy, where are you at? I am, weirdly enough, also visiting my mom in Kansas City, Missouri. Well, I love this, and I'd love for maybe, Mina, you can start us off. Um, When people talk about the cost of living crisis, what does that actually mean as you understand it? Uh, I mean, it's just like, just struggling to meet the kind of basic needs of life, really. Rent and food and just surviving day to day, I guess. That's sort of how I think of it. And also, I guess, kind of limiting your opportunities to actually focus on the things that you really enjoy because you're having to worry about things like that, you know? Mina, in terms of the work that you do helping people find more money for their art or to find uh, uh, better sources of income outside of the gigs that are available to them, has this been a difficult period for you to support like a community of artists? 
So I guess during lockdown, I, well, I've always been good at writing and I would be quite successful getting funding applications for myself and the people that I work with. So I'm like, hmm, maybe I could, you know, help other people and kind of turn this into a bit of like a side hustle. So during lockdown, I started doing that. Um, and yeah, it just kind of snowballed from there. And I created a platform called Funding With Me Now, where I post um, funding opportunities monthly. And then I also provide like consultations and advice. And I've actually been doing some workshops as well, which has been really cool because um, a lot of charities have started hitting me up to kind of do workshops for their mentees or their cohort. I love doing this kind of work because I really see how um, life-changing it can be to receive like a huge amount of money to for a creative project with kind of like no strings attached really. Um, and I feel really grateful to be in a, in a country where these kind of funding, this kind of funding does exist because I know I definitely feel like Europe relatively does still value the arts and that is still, it does, it is, you know, club culture, yes and no, there's, it is shaky with that, but I think art in general is still something that is valued and kind of as an end in itself, as opposed to just simply being a money-making venture. So Chrissy, let's talk about the disadvantages and the advantages of this particular period for you as an artist. And potentially, um, why don't we both you guys talk about the ways in which you safeguard yourself or um, ways in which you can um, protect yourself in opportunities like this? Well, I just want to, I, I first want to say that I think we talk about how there's not enough money in music to, for a career to be sustainable, but I don't think that's true. There's more money now in the industry than there was before the pandemic. And it's just that it's being funneled into the pockets of these large corporate players like Spotify and some of these big festivals and, and artists aren't seeing it. And so I think that, um, you know, there's, there's always been throughout the history of, of at least Western music, a space for freelancers cobbling together, uh, an income from their work, but also, um, patronage, you know, like rich people who love art, basically paying out of pocket for it. And then also grants funding, you know, arts funding, which is a kind of, you know, governmental form of patronage, I suppose. And, and I think that between the three of those, there really is enough money in the industry for a lot of people to pay their bills. You know, we don't have a union, we don't have any sort of workplace protections. I, I think that if we were able to fight and advocate for some of those things and claw back some of these profits from companies who really negotiate with us on unfair, bad faith terms, um, then, then we might feel a lot less of a, of a crunch. Right on. Um, I thought that was a perfect answer to that and, and does inherently hold a couple of solutions. Let's talk about things that artists can do now. So Mina, you know, uh, expanding on the work that you do to grab, uh, opportunities that might be available in grants, how do you uh, survive and what do you tell artists, um, around you that might not be getting enough money from that source of funding, how to strategically survive what I always say to people is just to diversify as much as you can and have like 
multiple income streams because they may not be as that much individually, but they can add up. So I use Bandcamp and I'm a real Bandcamp advocate. I think that it can be a really, really great tool for you to really reach people directly, reaching out to sync agents, sending them music, asking them to send you briefs is always a good idea if you're a producer and you feel like that's the kind of thing that you could do. You can also get your music into libraries, which is um, places where uh, brands go to find music as well. We're in an era of remote work, right? So just think, what can I do that I don't need to leave my house? How can I earn money without leaving leaving my house? And I think the problem with DJing is that it's very not remote, you know? It's like you have to physically be there. And if a flight gets cancelled, which mine did last Friday, you just lose all, you know, that, that's all your, your income gone, you know? And it's like, it's very precarious. It's very reliant on things coming into place. And I just realised that, that I can't rely on that, you know? Um, I'm very fortunate that I do get a decent amount of gigs, but I'm not touring anywhere near as as much as a lot of people are. I also think that there's issues to do with the environment, issues to do with mental health. Touring is not a sustainable practice if you're doing it constantly. And it's really, really hard. The jet lag, it, it is tough. So I think I'm grateful that I've created these other income streams and sources to kind of help me go tide me over when things are quieter with touring or I just don't really have the physical energy to do it because it is really 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 hard at times yeah I'm curious if either of you have been inspired there's obviously a lot of conversations going on right now about making a living and being an artist online just because it is really tough and some Mm. people are coming out and being quite honest Um, you know that's that's something that I haven't seen in the past that often I mean the artist's story is kind of to hide how broke you are so that you don't seem broke so that people want to hire you but it's it's a different conversation online and I think that's due to the way that what's cool is seen as differently being real and authentic is, is cooler but have you guys been inspired by anyone's speaking out recently about the cost of living crisis? Um, I'm really inspired by Elijah. He started a label called Butters and he's just been kind of speaking online, but in a very optimistic way, which I'm really, I really love because I think that often these things can be framed really negatively, like, oh, everything's terrible. And I'm like, well, yes, it is shit, but how can we make it better? You know, like, that's what I'm interested in. I'm not interested in constantly looking for the negatives I'm like okay what's the solutions like let's actually work together and I think the way he frames things in a really optimistic way really inspires me and the way he uses social media is is really refreshing he was going to be my first example as well um I would love to see more people like being really upfront about how how difficult it is to make ends meet in this industry and and how much kind of like planning and squirreling away money in the good months to, to be safe in the bad months and things like that. There is. Um, Yeah. But Elijah, I think is the, the person who's, who's doing the best job right now of, of making these issues really visible and, and yeah, like she said, in a way that isn't just total doom and gloom, depressing, you know, there's, there's, solutions and potential in those conversations okay so let's wrap it up with a bow with the future um 
Where do you think that this particular crisis around um, DJs making a living off of what they do, pr- producers and musicians and performers making money off of what they do, how is that going to affect the future of dance music? I mean, I just feel like there's this idea of exponential growth where everything you do has to be bigger. You have to be playing to 5,000 people, 10,000 people. Honestly, for me, the best gigs that I've ever done in my life has been to 200 people in a sweaty little basement club. And I just think, like, if we bring ourselves back to that and realise that is where club culture, like, the beating heart of club culture is, is in those community spaces and is in those smaller spaces. And let's try and, like, keep keep those spaces as sacred and like not try and charge promoters thousands of pounds to play there because that just doesn't make sense financially i'm in a position now where i can do smaller gigs um you know i don't ever want someone to think that they can't afford me i am very happy to do things like profit share we do profit share for our events um all the djs get paid the same you know just things like that just kind of taking it back from that real kind of hustle, hustle, let's make as much money as we can and, like, let's make it so that everyone can eat, not just the top. You get what I mean? Like, the top people. And I think that's what I'm... That's how I hope the industry will progress. I don't know, because I know that we live in a capitalist society and that's not how people are supposed to think. Like, going backwards, it's like, no, we need to be bigger. We need to be making more money, you know? Um, For me, I just want... To be, uh, to be able to survive, and I want everyone in my community to be the same, really. But I don't know. That's like a bit of a utopian ideal. Is that like communism? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what that is. It's protopian. <laughs> is that? Um, okay. Yeah. I don't know what that means. But yeah, that's how I... Yeah. Chrissy, you want to think... volley back? <laughs> if, you, if you look at like, you know, the, the quote-unquote death of disco that, you know, in 1979... Um, our culture and our and our like dance music industry never went away. It just split into, you know, um, a giant mainstream corporate major label side of things where, oh, we're going to rebrand this as dance and new wave and we're going to put these artists into stadiums and try to make them into like rock superstars, you know, whether that's Michael Jackson or Duran Duran or whatever the major labels were pushing. And then you had all this underground stuff that went back to a very DIY grassroots um, communal cooperative scene that eventually became house music and everything that we know that has come after house music. And so I think, I think we're going to see something like that where, where people are going to have to make a choice between do we want the vision of small grassroots DIY, you know, back to the early rave culture, even if it's not making us millionaires scene that Mina just, you know, laid out of a very, you know, a great vision for, or do we want the same 10 headliners playing for five or six figures at the same mega festivals from the same corporate bullshit that we, that we've seen dominating the top of the industry. And and I think both of those are going to continue to exist and grow. And we just have to decide which side of history we want to be on. I know which side sounds more fun to me. I'd rather be broke and happy than rich and miserable. If I wanted to be a millionaire, I could go work at a bank. And it would be a lot less stressful, a lot less like, you know, like, 
there's plenty of ways to do the wrong thing for a lot of money, but like doing the right thing, you, you got to take those opportunities when you get them, you know? Well, I really appreciate um, everything that you guys said on this call, especially the ways in which you expanded on topics that we haven't really seen talked about that often. We even talked about how people should be talking about this more. And I think that's one of the most exciting takeaways for me is is we're in a scene now that actually wants to talk about uh, how tough it is to make a living as an artist, uh, not just to your peers, but maybe to the fans and the community that are supposed to be supporting them. So thank you so much for joining us on the pod today. It was awesome to have you both. Thanks so much. Yeah, thanks thank for having, having us. us. By the way, Mina and Chrissy are both part of an article on MixMag.net that takes a very detailed look at the topic we discussed today. And the article is a part of a series of features MixMag has published on how the cost of living crisis affects all parts of the dance music industry, from nightclubs and promoters to festivals and radio stations. Link in the show notes if you want to dive even deeper. But for now, let's groove to other headlines that mattered this week. Ryuichi Sakamoto curates own funeral playlist. Legendary Japanese composer and member of Yellow Magic Orchestra, Ryuichi Sakamoto, passed away in March after a long and public battle with cancer. You may remember that we talked about this on the show too, and I recommended an amazing documentary about Sakamoto and his work. I'll put it in the show notes again because it's so good. Now Sakamoto's management has shared a Spotify playlist of music that he compiled to be played at his funeral. It's a beautiful balance of classical and contemporary electronic music, with composers like Eric Satie and Claude Debussy sharing space with producers like Alvin Noto and Laurel Halo. To me, it makes sense that artists who are obviously in love with music would want to control their own goodbye soundtrack. And as a fan, you may not be able to mourn at Sakamoto's actual funeral, but you can experience its energy 24-7, wherever you are in the world, via streaming. Parking lot party at Taylor Swift. Can anyone get concert tickets these days? Beyonce concerts sell out in seconds. You can't get Harry Styles tickets unless you're one of our producers. And if you even get through the Ticketmaster queues in the first place, prices are sky high. The cost of living crisis is hitting fans hard, and that also includes the Swifties. Recent shows by Taylor Swift have drawn thousands of diehard fans to parking lots outside of her concerts. No jumbotrons or live streams included, just lots of space to dance and weep with other fans. And for free. At one of the recent shows in Philadelphia, there were massive sing-alongs outside the stadium. The Washington Post published an article about how this created a bonding experience for the fans. And in that article, one fan said, we're lucky to even just be in the same city as her. The vibe is a long way off from the pre-parties for jam bands like the Grateful Dead, but we'd never discourage such a cute community gathering. And if you've never seen the short film Heavy Metal Parking Lot, we've got you with a link in the show notes. It is a cult classic. Cringe DJ names are on the rise. I Hate Models, DJ Fart in the Club, DJ Fucks Himself, DJ Absolutely Shit. My friends know I love a silly DJ name. My first moniker was a rhyme on DJ and urination. I won't be answering questions at this time, but it seems that there's been a notable boost of cringy names over the last few years. The Face magazine reported on what they describe as the unstoppable rise of these kinds of artist names. 
Are they really cringe though? In my opinion, this is just the latest example of how the new generation of DJs and dancers are taking the culture in a much less self-serious direction. DJ Fuck Off got their name from an online DJ name generator, similar to the way that Post Malone or Donald Glover, aka Childish Gambino, got their rap names. And it's not the first time in recent years that this has happened. Mixmag highlighted a similar trend in 2016 with DJs like Ross from Friends or DJ Boring. And even before that, we had DJs and producers like Joy Orbison or Calm Trues. For these artists, having such a unique, potentially profane name is worth getting constantly flagged on social media or being totally ungoogleable. So if you want to call yourself cunt, remember, or chickenmilk.com and live stream from the Hua bathroom stall, just go for it. Wait, those are already taken. The village people don't like Trump either. What is with Donald Dump's music taste? America's first criminally indicted ex-prez plays a strange brew of Broadway musicals, patriotic ballads, and some of the most significant gay anthems of all time for his incredibly hetero crowds. A recent clip of Trump really enjoying a performance of Macho Man by the village people at his Mar-a-Lago estate went viral, but the actual village people were very unhappy. First of all, Trump hired a tribute act to perform and not the original group. And so the village people called up their little known seventh member, the lawyer, and sent Trump a cease and desist letter telling him to stop using their image and outfits at any of his rallies or public events. Hiring the Village People as a tribute act is hilarious in itself, as the band has consisted of a total of 23 members over the course of its history. That's a lot of gay cops. If we've piqued your Village People interest, I've left a link in our show notes to an article I recently penned about the time my father had to explain to me as a kid what the gays were really doing at the YMCA. Okay, if you've listened to the show before, you know what time it is. It's rec time. This week's recommendation comes from the wonderful Marie Montexier. Marie is a German DJ with French roots that spends her time between Cologne and Leipzig. So she's obviously on the road a lot. Marie, what's the song you listen to when you're feeling homesick? Hello, I'm Marie, and today I'm introducing you to the British rapper Lily Sims. She is a singer, songwriter, and actress from London. In her lyrics, Lizims addresses a variety of topics, including personal growth, social justice, love, identity, racial inequality, and battling inner demons. Battling inner demons is a big part of being an artist. That's why I can really identify with her music. Today, I chose a track um, from her new album, the track named Angel. Um, this track deals with various topics and has a multi-layered meaning. However, in general, it is about empowerment, personal growth, and overcoming obstacles. Overall, Angel is a confident and inspiring track, and it encourages to believe in yourself regardless of the difficulties they may encounter. The main music I listen to when I travel is hip-hop, and she is definitely one of the best artists in hip-hop right now. And I hope you like it. Thanks for having me. Bye. Thanks for the rec, Marie. You can catch her at a whole host of festivals all across Europe this summer. And we'll put the link to Marie's tour dates and her recent Boiler Room set in the show notes. So that's all for the week this week. Thanks for locking in. I'll be back here next Thursday. Take care and remember to stop scrolling. 
The Week is a production by Telecom Electronic Beats and ACB Stories.